So we'll be out of Matthew chapter 7, so if you want to turn there, but as you're turning there, um, just a little bit of context of Matthew 7, 13 to 29. Back in 2018, I keep referring to this Israel trip. I mean, we need to go to Israel, don't we? I mean, part of you guys saying, Pastor, when are you going to take us? Uh, one of the, the first stop before we saw the, uh, the Sea of Galilee where Peter re, was restored was the Sermon on the Mount. So from these pictures, you can see we're up in the mountains near the Sea of Galilee or the lake, and then we're, you could look down and see perhaps where Peter was restored, but this is a, maybe not a mountain, more like a big hill. And this is where Jesus preached the great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And so chapter 7, 13 to 29, will be the, basically the ending of Jesus' sermon. There's an exhortation there. And really, these, these passages are warning passages. So the more I studied it, the more I looked into the scriptures, I was like, whoa, Lord. These are sobering reminders. As Pastor Dan talked about warning, this is a warning from the head of the church here. And this is not a warning to non-believers. This is not a warning to people outside this building or outside our church community. This is a warning to people who consider this church our home, to people who are professing believers. This is a warning for within the church. And um, the Bible says there are wheat and tares amongst the church. Wheat being legitimate Christians. Tares are, look like wheat, feel like wheat, but aren't wheat not Christians, okay? So as we refocus on the basics of church basics, the first issue is, am I actually a part of the church? And by default or by implication, am I headed to heaven or hell? This is serious. This is a very serious uh, portion of Scripture, and it was very sobering for me as I studied it. So please rise. We'll be at Matthew 7. I'll read from verse 13 to 29. I'll be reading at the NASB version. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Verse 15. Beware, warning, of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot, cannot produce bad fruit, nor a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 20, so then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus gives us an illustration of what he's talking about here at the end. Verse 24, a parable. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And, he, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be a, like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Why? For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that your word will be preached faithfully, Lord. And we'll get a, very, a clear picture of who your son is. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, Jesus said. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And warning number one, let's we'll get started into it. This is a warning to professing believers now. Warning number one, there are two types of gates, two destinations. Verse 13 and 14 of Matthew 7 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. Verse 13 starts off with a command. Enter through the narrow gate, Jesus says. And then he offers up a warning. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. The warning is do not enter through the wide gate. And during this coronavirus time, um, I've been looking at opportunities to evangelize folks. And I'm sure many of you guys have been too. I mean, I just believe hearts are softer right now. I believe the ears are more opened up to what's important in life. So I go jogging, and if I run into somebody, I try to maintain my physical distancing, but say, I just ask, how are you doing? Right? And that's, that's an appropriate question because everybody's going through the same thing. It's been challenging, right? I go to the market, the person uh, checking me out, or I'm at the convenience store. How are you doing? How are you doing with all this craziness going on? I, I'll offer up, man, I feel at peace because I'm a Christian. I love Jesus Christ. And then people would answer and just kind of, oh, okay, and tell me more to... You know what I believe? People offer up, I believe everyone's going to heaven. I tell my people, everybody's going to be in heaven. That's the wide gate, okay? That is the epitome of the wide gate. Everyone is going into heaven, no matter what gate you enter through, narrow or wide. So there are people who believe in this wide gate, and this is kind of like the spirit of the age or age of tolerance and kind of like this relativistic mentality where well, you could kind of choose and kind of all roads lead to heaven. Well, the Lord is saying, do not buy the lie here. The Lord is saying, do not enter through the wide gate. And this is where every false belief system in the world is, is based upon. The gates are basically belief systems. What do you believe in? Where do you put your eggs in? How do you live your lives? And the way is your lifestyle. That belief system will funnel you into a way of life. So if you believe in the, broad, the wide gate, you walk through the wide gate, you will have a broad lifestyle. Almost anything goes. The wide gate has many different ideas, it's more inclusive, it's more liberal, it's more progressive, it's more permissive, it's more tolerant. Does that not sound like what you hear today? That's the spirit of the age. The broad gateway also implies easier because it's broader, more lanes, more choices, more agreeable with the world. Many lanes, many choices. 
All right, but the, the Bible clearly says Jesus gives us a warning, but those who enter this broad or wide gate and broad way are led to destruction. What's destruction? Jesus is talking about hell. In no unclear terms, Jesus is warning about eternity. So you see there's two paths, and, and in essence, you're either through the, the narrow gate or the wide gate, and in essence, everybody lives forever. Either your destination is heaven or hell. This is a warning passage. Let me talk about the narrow gate here, verse 14. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Few who find it. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty narrow. That's pretty exclusive. That's from our Lord's mouth. Acts 4, 12 says there is no other name where salvation could be found except for the name of Jesus. Very exclusive. And the narrow gate leads to a narrow way, a narrow way of life. It's harder, more challenging. You're going to be found to be more offensive. You might have less friends. You might be less popular. It might cost you a job, a promotion. It might cost you some likes on social media. It's harder. This is what it is. But the destination is life, life eternal. This is heaven. So that question is, am I headed to heaven or hell? We just keep hitting that theme. Am I headed to heaven or hell? It completely depends on what gate you have entered. Totally matters. And the Bible says, few who find it. Scary, right? Warning passage. Next warning. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's go to warning number two. Warning number two. Beware. Jesus even says, well, look out. Beware. Warning. All right, as Pastor Dan said, warning. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. This is a warning. Two types of teachers, two fruits. A false teacher and the true teachers, right? These, these false prophets are, in essence, mouthpieces for Satan. They speak lies. They dole out lies. This is, this is the role of the false prophet. And the Bible says they're ravenous wolves. They're basically self-seeking. They want to eat. They want to feed off the sheep. And they mean for destruction. They don't mean for life. They mean for own self-promotion. They want to use the sheep to grow their own platform their own brand, their own prestige. Some will do this for, to get wealthy. Some will do this to gain inappropriate relationships in the church. They do it to feed themselves and they use the sheep. And it says right here in verse 15, in sheep's clothing. What does that mean, pastor? That means they got a costume on, Okay. They got a sheep costume on. They may look like sheep. They may sound like sheep. They may even feel like sheep when you pet them. But they're not sheep, okay? They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They're wearing a costume. They're wearing a costume. And dude, where do sheep hang out? They hang out in their sheep pen. They hang out in the church. This is not a warning. Jesus is not warning us about the necessary about the Muslim or the Hindu or the atheist or the Buddhist. We know which costume they're wearing. We, 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 they're clear in who, what they believe. 
But Jesus is warning about wolves and sheep's clothing in the church. This is scary. You would think of all places that could be at home and just kind of like at ease and just relax at church. Of all the places, I get it at the university. I used to be a student. I used to coach at the university for a long time. I got to be on guard for different ideas at work. All right, I could see that's kind of a, that's not really Christian. I get that. I get that. When I hang out with my non-Christian friends, I get that. I'm on guard. You like to think when you're at church, you don't have to be on guard. You can just relax, right? I'm home. Jesus says, warning, there, there are wolves in, in their midst. And they're wear, these wolves are wearing sheep's clothing, these costumes. These wolves act pious. They act religious. They've hijacked Christian terms. They even have a Bible, right? They even claim to teach the Bible. They even use Christian terms. Use current, they, they, they use corrupt interpretation to say that this is what the Bible says. You're going to see what I'm talking about in a second here. And so they've infiltrated the fold. These wolves are amongst us. This is scary. This is from the head of the church. False teachers are everywhere. I mean, false teachers are in church pulpits, false teachers are in Christian seminaries. False teachers are in Christian universities. False teachers are in Christian bookstores, magazines, Christian conferences, Christian radio and television. With the Internet, we could listen to almost anybody now, right? Are you discerning on what you're taking in? Is this true or false? So that feels pretty close to home, doesn't it? I mean, all these things. And I listen to Christian radio. I, I, I read Christian books. I go on Christian websites. That's pretty close to home. But let me draw even closer to home. As a pastor, and I just, being here at Evergreen SGV, I like to know history. I like to know kind of the history of our church. We have a rich history. It's been a wonderful history. And our church is almost, goes back almost 100 years. Can you believe that? To the 20s, 1920s. And we've had, it's been a wonderful history to study and there's been some f- great fruit that has come out of our church family. But also I've discovered there's been some heretics that's been coming through our church too in those hundred years. We have people who have, pastors who have promoted universalism. What is that? That's the wide gate. That means all roads lead to heaven. That means as long as you have some kind of a genuine faith in somebody or something, you'll get there. That's universalism. Does that shock you? We've had people who start up cults in our church. We've had people who start uh, movements and affirming homosexuality as an acceptable thing before the Lord. This is our church. This is the history of our church. So do you think we're immune to wolves in the church? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In sheep's clothing, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, Bible says Satan comes as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. if you want to write that down. 2 Corinthians 11, 14, Satan comes an angel of light. 2 Peter 2, 1, Peter, the one that, Peter, the one that was restored by Jesus by, by being asked, do you love me? He writes down past, very pastorally, among you there will be false teachers. Among you. He's not talking to the outside world. He's talking to the church world. So that's what's challenging. I remember, you know, and this easy illustration that comes to my mind of what this is like is 
you know, when we, I was coaching football, I mean, I was coaching at USC, had those great ties, we wore the cardinal and gold, right? <laughs> we played UCLA, they had the baby blue, and, and as I, I, I knew which team we were on. I knew who, we, who were to throw the ball to and who not to. I knew who to hit and who not to hit. So we get that. In, 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 the, in the religious world, there's very distinct lines amongst different belief systems, Right? We love everybody, but we understand where people are coming from. But now from within the church, with sheep's clothing, it's more like guerrilla warfare. You're not quite sure. People start talking, acting similar, and saying similar things, and maybe even have moral things to like make sure we promote family and all those sort of things. But it gets a lot more murkier. It's not as distinct anymore. We have to be discerning. So Jesus gives us a reason. Not only does he give us a warning, but he tells us how we can tell false teachers here. Thank God our Lord cares for us and gives us some good instructions. Verse 16, you will know them by their fruits. There it is. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit or every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the bad or, un- or diseased tree bears bad fruit. A good tree or healthy tree cannot, it's impossible, produce bad fruit. And the other side of it, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. What is fruit? Well, I've been studying the pastoral epistles a lot because as a young pastor, I'm trying to learn what it means to be an elder or a pastor. And, and Paul warns Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine. Watch your life and your doctrine, meaning how you live and what you teach. That, this is for a pastor or a preacher or a teacher, the fruit. What does your life look like, pastor? What, is, what, is, what are you teaching from the scriptures, pastor? This is the fruit that we could tell. The life lived. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul warns Timothy that in the end times, men will become lovers of self, narcissistic, lovers of money, doing doing ministry for money, boastful, arrogant, is all about self-promotion, lovers of pleasure then rather than lovers of God. I mean, these are just a laundry list of things that Paul takes us to. You look at the man's life. What kind of life does he live? That screams to you, that preaches to you if, if the fruit is good or bad. Now, just like Peter, no pastor is perfect. I'm not perfect, sorry to disappoint you. But God requires genuineness is this man genuinely for god does he genuinely love the sheep right peter did not love jesus perfectly we know this but he genuinely loves the lord we know that does this man have a genuine love for christ and for his people second thing paul says watch your life and your doctrine teachings I think 2 Corinthians 4 says, we believe, therefore we, sp- we speak. What do you believe in is what you're going to preach and teach. Period. This, what you believe, what is burning in your bones, in your heart, is what's going to come out to the church family. This is what it is. If you don't believe it, you're not going to teach it. If you don't believe that the Bible is authoritative, inerrant, sufficient word of God, I'm not going to preach it and teach it word for word. I'll go off into some other allegory, some kind of moralistic teaching. This is what we believe. This is God's word. This is why we teach this. Does the the teacher promote the wide gate or the narrow gate? Right? There's some things that are very close tie-ins. 
what are the doctrinal beliefs of the teacher? Now, if you have your Bibles, I want to give you a biblical illustration of what false teachers look like. Go to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah is after uh, Isaiah and right before Lamentations or Ezekiel. Jeremiah 23. I'm going to go through some verses here. And God basically indicts these uh, false teachers, false prophets in the time of Israel during the time of Jeremiah. And I'm just going to jump through some verses, and I think you're going to be able to feel and see some things that are just happening in today's culture even. Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23, I'm going to jump to verse 13 here. Let's go to verse 13. Moreover, among the prophets of Samaria, I saw an offensive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. Basically, they, these uh, false prophets in Samaria are preaching doctrines of demons. Doctrines of demons. Baal is a demon, is a satanic influence, satanic truth, doctrines of demons. Verse 14, also among the prophets of Jerusalem, southern Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. What did he see in these prophets? The, the committing of adultery and walking in falsehood. Look at their lives. They're immoral. These false prophets are immoral. They lacked integrity. They walked in falsehood. You cannot trust these men. And they strengthen the hands of evildoers. What does that mean? They basically are empowering, encouraging people to sin, to rebel. Those who are sinning say, hey, you're okay. It gives strength to people who are sinning. So that no one has turned back from his wickedness. No call for repentance. No issue of sin. No addressing the heart. False prophets do this. All of them have become to me like Sodom and the, her inhabitants like Gomorrah. They had a homosexual revolution taking place in Sodom and Gomorrah. God dealt with them. We know this. Genesis 19, I believe. Severely, I, I, I might add. So these false prophets are promoting the way of immorality, promoting godlessness, and this grieved God. Let's go to verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this is God, Yahweh speaking, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility, hopelessness. They speak a vision of their own imagination or their own heart. They're not preaching the Bible. They're not preaching God's word. They're thinking and saying things that's made up in their own mind, what's agreeable in their own heart. How many of you have heard that before? It just feels right in my heart. This is what's on my heart today. Not from the mouth of the Lord. Vision of their own imagination. Verse 17. What do they say? What do they do? Spiritual malpractice. This is the pathology of a false teacher here. They keep saying to those who despise me, those who rejected God, those who disregard God, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. Shalom. That's the word. It's all good. Don't worry about it. You could be living and rejecting God and rebelling against God, but you have shalom. It's all good. You will not be judged. God is good with you. And, and, and as for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his own heart, rebellion, they say calamity will not come upon you. You won't be judged. God is the God of love. I've heard this type of teaching, especially in the area of sexuality, homosexuality. Hey, it's okay. God is a God of love. God won't judge you. He understands. That's just how you are. God understands. That's Satan talking to you. 
Genesis 3.14, Satan told Eve, you shall surely not die. Go ahead, rebel against God. You shall surely not die. They deceive you. Let's go to 19. Is this true? Will, will, will people have will not face judgment? Is it shalom? Is it, is it all good? Verse 19, Behold, the storm of the Lord has gone forth in wrath. Wrath. Even a whirling tempest, it will swirl down on the head of the wicked. Verse 20, The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed and carried out the purposes of his heart, of his heart, God's heart. In the last days, you will clearly understand it. The day of judgment, the day of the Lord will be clear that no one will escape rebelling from the Lord. Okay? Verse 21, I did not send these prophets. They're unsanctioned. They ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. They're speaking out of their own words. Look what true prophets do. Now, there it is. Verse 22, this is the role of a true teacher. But if they had stood in my counsel, that means you stood under God's word. Man of God is someone who studies the word, sits under the word, is dominated by God's word. That's how you sit under his counsel. Then they would have announced my word to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds who call for repentance. Pastors are called to minister the word. Jesus, our Lord, his, his first sermon out of Matthew when he started his public ministry was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Repent. John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So these false teachers will be cut down because they produce no good fruit and thrown into the fire. That's hell. Jesus is warning. So I ask this question, am I headed to heaven or hell? Something you should be asking yourselves, Right? What the Bible would say, don't listen to false teachers. Do not be deceived. I'm going to just stay a little bit longer in Jeremiah. Go to Jeremiah 23, uh, 25. I have heard from the prophets and have, who, who uh, have said, who prophesy falsely in my name, saying, I had a dream. I had a dream. How long is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood? Even these prophets of the deception of their own heart, their own these prophets are deceived, who intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams, right? Forget about the Lord. Don't worry about what the Lord has to say, which they relate to one another, one another. just as their fathers forgot my name and because, my name because of Baal. What's Baal today? Baal is an age of tolerance, a spirit of tolerance. Tolerance of acceptance. This is the God of acceptance. The wide gate. This is the God of today. Verse 28. So how do we handle this, Pastor? Well, verse 28 tells us, The prophet who, ha who has a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. We combat error with truth, the scriptures, the word of God. What does straw have in common with grain? What does chaff, like fake words, have with grain? Real word, declares the Lord. Is not my word like, word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock? How do we handle error? You've got to be in the word, studying the scriptures, consumed with the word so that you could tell which is truth and what's error. We don't want to be deceived, brothers and sisters. 
You have to check what I'm saying. Look to the scriptures to see if what I'm saying is true. I want to direct us to the book so that you know it's coming from God. Man of God preaches God's word. And I know I talked about some hard things of our history of our church, but let me just leave us on a positive note. I'm so grateful for the men who have gone forth from Evergreen and started some solid churches like Lighthouse and Torrance, where the elders are preaching the word, Pastor Troy Wong, Jojo Ma out in Sierra Madre, Seeds of Life, Kyle Shimazaki, men like John Horry who are preaching the word. There's also a strong legacy here, too. Let's not forget that. Grateful for Pastor Corey saying orthodoxy here for Evergreen for many years. Grateful for that. But beware. It's an ongoing thing until the day of the Lord. Let's go to the next warning here. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, our Lord says. Warning number three. Two types of disciples, two kingdoms. Back to uh, Matthew 7, guys. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, this is a scary passage for professing believers. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, went to the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? So Jesus is talking to people who are professing believers, people who even do good works, who may even show some kind of a fruit. Didn't I serve you, Lord? Didn't I lead Bible study, Lord? Didn't I attend church on a regular basis, Lord? Didn't I even go on a short-term mission trip for you, Lord? Very serious things. But there was no relationship there. In verse 23, and then I will declare to them, this is what the Lord said, I never knew you. Knew you, not meaning like I didn't know who you were, but I didn't know you. We didn't have an intimate relationship. You know, school, like I didn't experience you. I don't know you. You may know of me, but I don't know you. Jesus says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's about the heart. And depart from me means hell. Away from the Lord is hell. This is a serious warning. Am I headed to heaven or hell? He who does the will of the Father, 21, verse 21, is the one who gets to come into the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of hell is for everybody else. And love is the motivation. John 14, 15 says this, if you love me, you obey my commandments. Jesus said that. So even although some of us in person aren't able to sing loudly or maybe has to, we have to sing underneath our breath, God sees the heart, amen? We could sing with just lip service. It means absolutely nothing to the Lord. We're still able to worship in the heart. Right now as you're hearing the word preached to here or at home or in the NPR, are you receiving this word with gladness? Like, bless, Lord, I'm worshiping you by hearing your word preached. Do you love Christ? Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And in essence, do you submit to God's word? That's how you show your love for the Lord. There's warnings everywhere. The wide gate, false teachers, false disciples. And here's our final warning here. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Two foundations and two endings. 
So Jesus gives us a parable or an illustration to kind of encapsulate this whole sermon, this whole warning. I'm just going to read verse 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. What are the two houses? The houses are basically illustrate our lives. This is our lives. And both houses seem similar. What do I mean by that, Pastor? You may ask. Well, they look the same. These houses... Both looked fine on the external. They had roofs, they had a good paint job, the window was good, the doors were in place, maybe had a good lawn and good gardening set up. These are upright people. These are churchgoers. These, this, our Lord is not talking about the drug dealer or the prostitute, okay? This is the churchgoer. This is like, man, that man looks like an outstanding guy. He looks like he takes care of his family. He's got his job, you know, he looks clean, looks clean cut. He shows up regularly to church. Both of them, both of them. And they even lived, these homes are probably in a similar vicinity because they experienced the same storm. Not one in one state, in the other state, one county, the other county. They experienced the same storm. Same church, listening to the same sermon. He who has ears, let him hear same small groups, maybe even same group of friends, same group of friends, right? Both heard the gospel, both acknowledged the Lord, but two different responses to Christ. And that's what's represented by the two foundations. But let's start off with the negative one first. The sand, let's start off with the sand. And the foolish man, a foolish man, one who does not act on God's word, heard the gospel. He probably even listened to the false teachers and said, who said, build on the sand. It's okay. That Just start building your life on this stuff. You could be shallow with Jesus. You don't have to be all in. That's just for the extreme Christians. That's just varsity Christians. You could just get by, just kind of acknowledge Jesus, show up at church once in a while. They probably listen to false teachers. Hey, take the broad road. You know what? Church life is church life. Work life is work life. Family life is family life. You know, you could kind of pick and choose. Just kind of what, what fits the occasion. Superficial belief is okay. You don't have to be all in. You don't need to submit. You could be shallow. Shallow in the word. You could be shallow in prayer, in your prayer life. You know what? Sin, as long as no one knows about it, don't worry about it. It's between you and God. As long as people don't see what you're doing, you're okay. Keep the front door nicely painted. So there's an external emphasis on religiosity. This is the man that builds his house on the sand. In other words, he's shaped by the world. He's more dominated by the world's culture dominated by man's wisdoms and philosophy and the cultural currents. 
But just like the sand is shifting, right? Our culture, I'm 44 years old, our culture's changed drastically in the last 20 years, 30 years. Different. My children are growing up in a different day than I did in Monterey Park. They build their house on the sand. They love the world. They love the world. They prioritize to live for now than for eternity. They're living for now. The easier way. I'm going to be agreeable with the culture. I'm going to be agreeable on, uh, on my Instagram, my Facebook. That's where I'm going to live. This is my house. Well, let's look at the other house. The rock, the house that's built on the rock is, is a wise man, one who, who builds on the rock, is the one who, who acts on Jesus' word. This word rock is not like a stone. The word is petra, which is like a massive stone, like the bedrock. It's a bedrock, un, immovable. Now, in, in, in uh, Luke 6, there's kind of a parallel account where Jesus tells a similar parable. And what it says is the, the, this man dug deep. He dug deep. He went deep now. He went deep to get to that bedrock to build his house. He went deep with Jesus. This, this wise man has a real relationship with Jesus. This man is deep into God's word, studying the word of God on a regular basis. He's deep into his prayer life, ever wanting to grow in his prayer life. He's beyond externals. You can see good fruit in his life, but this is not what he lives for. He goes deep into his own heart at the heart level. And he's addressing sin in his heart. He allows Jesus to do heart surgery on him. He surrendered to Christ. In other words, God's word is saturating this man or woman. This, God's word is, con, is just consuming his mind and, 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 and dominates his, the way he thinks, his attitudes, shapes his belief systems about Jesus, and he loves him. He loves Jesus, and because he loves Jesus, his actions are governed by what he loves. You, you, you follow with what you love. The foundation is having a love relationship with Jesus, a genuine, deep love relationship with Christ. And this rock, Jesus, who is represented by the rock, never shifts, never changes. Therefore, this person invests his time, money, energies, talents on eternal things. But here, going back to both houses now, house on the sand, house on the rock, both houses look good. Both houses actually think it's going to be just fine. And in verse 25, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against the house. What are these rains, floods, and winds talking about? Is Jesus talking, what is he talking about? Is he talking about the trials of life? Maybe partially, because how we respond to the coronavirus and kind of hard things in our lives kind of will reveal what's going on in our hearts. But this is maybe warning passages here. This is talking about final judgment. Jesus is talking about judgment day. When judgment day comes, if your house is built on the sand, you have a great fall. That's hell. If your house is built on Christ, the rock, you'll be in heaven. You'll be okay. So as you ask this question, am I headed to heaven or hell, it just totally depends on where you're building your life on, on the rock or the sand of this world. Pretty simple. I love how our Lord makes it very clear. This is a sobering warning for the church, you know, and uh, that's why we want to get back to the basics. 
I want, as a pastor, I want to know desperately that everyone who considers Evergreen SGV is a genuine believer. This is my greatest burden. The people that I preach to every week, the people I'm growing in my love for, are you actually, am I actually headed towards heaven? We don't want to pretend. We don't want to pretend because in that moment, in that day of reckoning, the only thing that's going to matter is did I build my life on the rock, period. And so today, we're going to be able to take communion. And, and if you have your life built upon the rock, we're going to be able to take communion together. And this is a beautiful thing. This is, communion is for genuine Christians, genuine believers, those who have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And not only on a superficial sand level, I mean, I'm going deep with the Lord. I'm committed to following Christ as my Lord and Savior. He's my treasure that I'm digging for. I'm finding more and more of him, and I love him so much. But what grieves me is that we make sh- if we take communion in an unworthy manner, just like we singing songs from our heart, we're hearing the word preached from our, it with our hearts, we need to take communion in a worthy manner, brothers and sisters. So if there's any sin that needs to be addressed that you didn't address earlier with, with Pastor Terry led us to that, let's do it during this next song. If there's any unforgiveness that you need to deal with with anyone in the church forgive him or her right now bury it bury it nail it to the cross because the bible says do not take communion in an unworthy manner and that's how you dishonor the lord is if you take communion while you're actively in sin or if you're actively hating on somebody in the church that's disunity And this is really a foretaste. As Pastor Dan showed that picture of kind of like this long table, I imagine them having dinner. Someday there's going to be a massive table in heaven, and Jesus is going to be sitting at the head, and all of us Christians are going to be there eating with one. This is a foretaste of what it's going to be like. This is a symbol of what this is going to be like. So as Pastor Terry and the group leads us in song, prepare your hearts, whether you're at home, at home, on your couch, or in the sanctuary, or in the NPR, prepare your hearts to take communion in a worthy manner. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to preach your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us so much that you would give us these warnings. You love us so much, Lord, that you would cause us to look within ourselves and, and how our hearts are before you, Lord. Jesus, you give a horrifying warning of those who say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do these things for you? And you say, I don't know you. Depart from me. Let not that be us, please, by your grace. So, Father, I pray for those right now in our church family that have been coming here for years or even just recently joined us, maybe perhaps joined us online, that those of us who know that we've built our house on the rock, that we would just feel encouraged. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And for those of us who know we are building our house on the sand and we're going through the motions and building up external things, Lord, I pray, Lord, that your spirit will convict us and that we will repent to you, Jesus, and we'll start going deeper with you, digging, 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 till we touch the rock, till we have a genuine connection with you, Jesus. 
So, Lord, we know by grace we're saved. We understand this, but I pray that we will respond to your spirit to be committed to following you, Jesus. Father, I pray you prepare our hearts to receive communion in a moment. So thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.